0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Medicine, a community coming home to Jesus and his church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMedicine.com. Uh, I'm Scott. I'm the pastor here. If I've, I know some of you. I don't know all of you. Um, if you're visiting here for the first time, it's a, it's a joy to have you with us. Uh, we put up the Vegas uh, Red Velvet window things outside just for you this morning. So, Actually, it was Vegas night, apparently, at Edgewood High School, so we are uh, Vegas night the night before church the next morning. Uh, Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we do enter your courts with thanksgiving. You are our shepherd, we are the sheep of your pasture, and Lord, we trust you, we know your voice. Oh God, teach us that we have nothing to be afraid of. Because you're good, and your love endures forever. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Um, Some of you may know, uh, whether you are a child at heart or have children or just into children's stuff, uh, the song, book, YouTube video, We're Going on a Bear Hunt. Does anybody know We're Going on a Bear Hunt? It's an old, like, children's song and activity. And it's a little tune. The children on a bear hunt. They encounter an obstacle like a muddy bog or a river or tall grass. And then what's the refrain? can't go over it, can't go around it, can't go under it, you got to go through it. And then if you're doing the actions, you do the actions of going through the grass or whatever. Uh, It's a fantastic little children's song, but did you know it actually contains deep, profound theological wisdom? (laughs) Uh, It does. That's the answer to that question, Uh, because it's exactly true for healing and forgiveness in Jesus. Uh, I've been shocked by how much I have been affected by this this week. Our sin, especially our biggest and most felt failures, uh, having a way of being an obstacle in our hearts and in our lives, right? Uh, a muddy bog, a deep cave, a pit in your stomach at the dinner table. You're walking to class or work, and it's clouding your imagination. Same's true for woundedness. When something or somebody hurts us deeply, we carry it, right? It sits behind our social conversations. We take it with us. And I think both our guilt and our pain have a way of being a roadblock sometimes to freedom and joy and life in Christ. You all know what I'm talking about? The good news of Jesus is that there is no sin too great and no wound or pain too deep that the resurrection of Jesus cannot overcome. Amen? Amen. Let me say that again. We actually believe this okay? I'm not just saying this. There is nothing you've done, and there is nothing that someone has done to you that is so great that Jesus can't take it and obliterate it. Amen? Amen. But here's the catch. In order for Jesus to deliver you from that, you can't go around it. You can't go over it. You can't go under it. What? You got to go through it. Jesus is not going to heal you from that thing. He's not going to forgive you from that thing through silence or repression. He's not going to take you and heal you from that thing through ignoring it and trying to box it up and forget that it's there. He's going to take you through it. He's going to take you into the heart of it, and he's going to bring you out on the other side of it, which is what he did from Good Friday to Easter morning. Amen? This passage which is one of the most serene and intimate and beautiful passages in the Bible, is a picture of Jesus taking somebody through it. This is the resurrected Christ taking Peter, a man who is full of shame and guilt, through it. And as he did for him, so he does for us. So what I want us to do this morning is kind of just dive in. It's going to be a lot of Bible. I want us to enter into this story with Peter so we can feel what's happening with Jesus in him. And as he did for him, so he does for us. Man, there's a lot of treasures here. So before we dive into our passage this morning in John, uh, in order to fully appreciate the restoration of Peter, we have to fully appreciate how much he messed up. Um, So you see, at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, some of you may have read this if you're familiar with the Bible, but Jesus calls disciples at the beginning of his ministry uh, when he starts. And here's What he says, all right? This is word for word, Jesus, in the beginning of Luke. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. That's important. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? this is important, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So all the discipleship vocabulary there is really important. Did you hear that? Follow me, deny yourself, lose your life, find it in me, don't be ashamed of me. Cling to your life, you'll forfeit your soul. You cling to me and deny yourself, you gain everything. What a wild call. Guess who is one of the first people to answer that call? Simon Peter. This guy is first at everything. First off the boat, first to follow, first to fight, first to ask Jesus to wash him. Uh, Father Stephen talked about this last week. Peter has a really legit track record out of all the disciples of being there, right? He's ready to follow Jesus' call. So much so that before Jesus is going to go to the cross, he says, listen, I'm going to be handed over to death, and you guys are all going to leave me and scatter. And some of you might know this, but Peter says, yeah, all these guys might, pointing to all the other disciples. But what does he say? I won't. Even if I have to die, this is coming out of Peter's mouth, I will never deny you. He's like, no, I got through the season with a absolute winning batting average. I'm not going to choke in the playoffs, right? When it comes down to it, I'm going to be there. But Jesus says, truly, I say to you, you will deny me three times. Okay. Here's how it went down, Peter's denial. The night that Jesus is handed over to death, he was taken to the high priest's courtyard. So you need to think of this like a public place, like this, that they're all in. And Jesus is one part of it where you can see him and he's being questioned. Here's how John describes it. I'm quoting now. The servant girl at the door, when Jesus entered in, said, Hey, you're also not one of this man's disciple, are you? She's kind of there at the door when he's entering in. He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. So you need to get the scene here. Jesus is being questioned to the point of his death. Within viewing distance, and there's a fire, and there's soldiers and servants all hanging around doing this. And Peter, kind of incognito, walks up and is standing in the midst of them, trying to just be a normal bro around the charcoal fire, okay? So they said to him, the guys who are warming themselves, hey, man, you're not one of his disciples, are you? Right? In the midst of everything, he denied it and said, I am not. And then one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose Peter's, Peter had cut off his ear, okay? So this guy's like cousin Peter had just chopped off his ear. He asks, with probably a little bit more umph and gusto, did I not see you in the garden with him? So imagine what Peter's feeling as he's in the middle of the soldiers and all this is happening. And Peter again denied it, and at once the rooster crowed. Luke adds that right after this, Jesus looks, he makes eye contact with Peter. Can you imagine? And then it says, Peter went and wept bitterly. And that verb bitterly in Greek is like as tormented, distraught, bitterly you can possibly get. Peter is overwhelmed. That's the last thing that happened before Jesus died, who was Peter's hero. It is hard to imagine the darkness and the agony that Peter experienced on Holy Saturday. Not only was Jesus dead, but his parting shot with his Lord was his denial in public three times. Peter followed Jesus up to a point, but when the chips were down, he choked. He choked in the playoffs. Instead of denying himself and following Jesus like Jesus asked, he denied Jesus, right? Instead of losing his life to find it, he clung to his security and reputation and forfeited his soul. He was publicly ashamed of his association with Jesus. So Peter there is the picture of an anti-disciple. I hope you can see all the same words are involved in Jesus' call and in Jesus' denial. Do you get that? And he did it three times. And the point of that is it's not a fluke. This was a position of his heart. He had decided, I am not giving myself up in this situation. I imagine that the public shame and burden of that, uh, not only before the other disciples, but especially for Jesus, before Jesus, was absolutely unbearable for Peter. I imagine that without the encounter with the resurrected Christ that we're about to read, Peter would have taken this burden to his grave, right? I wonder if you identify with that feeling about something. wonder if there's anything this morning that you're carrying that you feel like, I'm never gonna get over that. It's an impassable obstacle in my heart. Could be woundedness, could be guilt. Whatever it is, I encourage you to carry that with you through the rest of this story because it gets really good. You guys ready? Turn with me to your... To your Bible or in your bulletin to the to the Gospel of John that we're reading. If you were here last week, we read the story. This this story comes right after where Jesus meets him as the resurrected. This is after he rose from the dead, meets them while they're fishing. And they catch a ton of fish, and then Jesus invites them to come have breakfast on the shore of the lake at dawn, where he's made a little charcoal fire. And he sets some fish out, and the sunrise is kind of blazing over the lake shore. So imagine those Pure Michigan ads that are just so beautiful, and Tim Allen's talking, and you're like, man, I want to go to Michigan right now. That's what this this scene is supposed to feel like. It's beautiful, it's serene, it's peaceful, okay? And there are four things about this restoration that stick out to me. So we're just going to read the story first together, and then I'm going to walk us through it. Let's start in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast... Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. First thing I want to point out about this restoration is that Jesus restores Peter by calling him out. Jesus restores Peter by calling him out. In other words, Jesus doesn't go around it, doesn't go over it, doesn't go under it. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't just wink at Peter and let it sit at that. He takes Peter right through it. The elephant is in the room. The elephant is on the lake shore. maybe it's better to say. And Jesus, in order to restore Peter, points it out in public and he does this by recreating the scene. So this is meant to be a mirror image of his denial. I think Father Father Stephen mentioned this last week. So first, John tells us early in verse nine, like I read, Jesus makes a charcoal fire, which is the exact thing that Peter was standing around when he denied Christ. There's only two times in the Bible that exists, and one's at Peter's denial, and one's right here on the beach. Second, this is in public. I always thought that this was a one-on-one thing, but uh, most commentators agree that this is Jesus in between all the other guys so they're all watching this happen if you look at verse 15 it says when they had finished breakfast so this is in a public situation he's next to a fire he's in the presence of Christ and in that context he's asked three times about his association with Jesus mirror image Peter would have known it, the disciples would have known it, and John is making sure that you know, oh my gosh, Jesus is recreating the scene here. He's bringing Peter back into the heart of it. Um, One of my favorite songwriters is a guy named Bill Maloney, and in one of the more transformative and grueling seasons of my life, one of his songs ministered to me so much. And the refrain of the chorus is Sometimes God opens up the deepest of wounds. Sometimes God opens up the deepest of wounds. When we had that pause earlier, whatever you are carrying this morning, whatever pit you're carrying in your stomach, you need to know that God wants to heal and forgive you. He does. He has the authority and the power to. But you also need to know that in order to do so, he's going to want to go there with you. He's going to want to open it up so that he can bring you through it. You can't box anything up. You can't silence anything in order for it to be dealt with. We have to let Jesus meet us right in the middle of it. Sometimes God opens up the deepest of wounds. And that leads to the second thing I want to point out, and that is that Jesus restores Peter with grace. Having Jesus call out your deepest sin or woundedness is terrifying a prospect, right? If you thought he was going to humiliate you or drag you through the mud, and we fear this because this is what we do to each other, right? Do you trust somebody else? (laughs) I think we live in a culture where we experience a lot, I think, what you see in the picture of the Bible where the woman is caught in adultery and then dragged in the middle of a crowd. That's what we do to each other on social media all the time. Do you guys know the German word schadenfreude? First of all, it's fun to say, schadenfreude. Schadenfreude means finding pleasure at somebody else's misfortune. And our social media world breathes and lives off of finding pleasure when other people mess up and dragging them into the public eye. Jesus does not do that. Amen? Amen. Do you know that you can trust him in that space? He handles this space, oh my gosh, look at this with Peter, with such tenderness. He's like a surgeon of compassion. Jesus doesn't humiliate Peter in front of his friends. Jesus does not humiliate Peter. Amen? Thank you, Ian. Jesus does not crush Peter. Jesus doesn't reject Peter. He could have done so many things here. He could have said, Peter, wiping the the coffee and fish off of his mouth, tell everybody what you did. You denied me, didn't you? How many times did you do it? Three times. You know what I did? I went to hell and back, Peter. Could have looked at everybody. You see, guys, Peter was ashamed of me. This is the kind of thing we need to watch out for, right? This is the sin that we're not going to allow to exist in our blah, 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 blah. He doesn't do any of that. None of it. From his questions to his actions, Jesus shows otherworldly, dumbfounding grace. This should shred you to pieces, especially if you feel like you're not perfect, because I don't feel like I'm perfect, amen? More than anything in this passage, the thing that has struck me is the way that Jesus serves breakfast. Um, Breakfast actually has a huge role to play in this story. Uh, There's actually, he actually says in verse 12, this is a quote from Jesus, come and have breakfast, (laughs) My friend has that in his dining room, and it's amazing, and it just says, come and have breakfast, Jesus. Uh, Who would have known that breakfast food could be so charged with the divine love and purposes of God, right? Some of you are like, no, I've known that for a long time. I love breakfast food. Um, My dad and my grandparents lived in Africa for almost 20 years, and I was remembering a story this week that just portrays the power of hospitality and food. Uh, there was a time, they lived in Kenya, where a Kenyan man came who was really angry at my grandfather for some reason, but he wasn't there, and so my grandmother said you will have to wait till he comes back, and he was going to wait outside, and my grandma, who was an extremely strong person, uh, basically forced him inside and forced him to sit down in the living room and then served him tea and cakes and kept on just kind of loving him and being hospitable, and this was in the 60s. Uh, in Kenya, and so there was a lot of dynamics there that made this even more unique. Uh, But over time, the man kind of fell silent and his countenance changed. Uh, And just through the sheer hospitality of tea and being shown love and and wordless actions of grace, uh, the man was just kind of overwhelmed and softened and kind of forgot what he was mad about and it all worked out. I don't really remember how the story ends, but I remember how powerful that was. Now, try to imagine Peter sitting on a log around a campfire on the beach feeling such shame. And Jesus is seasoning the fish. Here's a cup of coffee, Peter, right? He's handing him a plate and he has nails in his hands. He can see the nail marks. I think breakfast here is a clinic on the love of God before Jesus does anything he says sit down peter what do you want for breakfast you want the trout you know you want walleye what are you what are you feeling Jesus is saying more to peter than we know i think before jesus even asks him the first question so much has already gone on jesus has already offered peter so much grace peter has already probably already received so much of jesus's love through breakfast so god is not going to ignore he's not going to let you repress those deepest things in you. He's going to call you out. But you can trust him in the space. Amen? You can trust him with it. Whatever you're carrying, let that inform your imagination of my, of, about how Jesus might want to interact with you about that. That's not scary. You can trust him in that space. Third thing, Jesus restores Peter with another chance. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? This is what Jesus chooses to ask Peter, and it's a variation of a question that he's going to ask two more times. So what's he asking? Do you love me more than these? Um, A lot of really brilliant and godly people have a lot of different ideas about what he's talking about. Um, particularly who or what is these. So some people think that he's talking about, he's looking at all his fishing gear and his old way of life and saying, do you love me more than this world that you were a part of? Do you love me more than this old life? Other people think he's talking about the, the other disciples. Either do you love me more than you love these guys or do you love me more than these guys love me? And the list could go on lots of different ways you could take it but i think what's important is what's right there in front of us okay this is peter giving this is jesus giving peter another chance and i think what's important is he's saying peter do you love me more than x y or z jesus is saying count the cost peter cuz now you know are you in you want to you get back on the discipleship pathway that you started? Do you love me more? Do you want me more than anything else? Do I matter to you more? Enough to lose your life, to deny yourself, and to pick up your cross. Peter choked three times at his denial, and Jesus gives him three opportunities to buy back in. It says it grieves him the third times, Jesus asks. Did you guys see that in verse 17? Peter kind of, oh, he's crestfallen. And I think that's either because it just reminds him of the three times he denied Christ, um, or potentially just that Jesus even has to ask. It hurts him. But Peter answers with more solemn humility than he did before his denial: Yes, Lord, you know. In other words, Jesus, I'm bare before you. You know everything. You know all about my failures, but you know I love you, because Peter does. I really do want to be with you. I'm in. Peter tasted what it was like to, not, to deny Jesus and cling, and cling to himself. He tasted it, and it turned it to ash in his mouth. He's ready to be a disciple. He knows Jesus is better than anything else, so he wants back in. I wonder, here's, man, here's an amazing thing to meditate on this week. I wonder for, for those of us with whatever's in your heart right now, if you had bre- breakfast with Jesus, and after all the syrup and the egg yolk was wiped up in the pancakes, if he asked you, do you love me more than these? What would these be? It's a good dinner conversation this week. That's a question to ponder. I think the Holy Spirit is very good at pointing that out to us. Do you love me more than these? Fourth thing I want us to notice is that Jesus restores Peter to feed and to follow. There's my alliteration for the morning. To feed and to follow. After Peter responds three times to be restored from his three denials, yes, I love you, amen, Jesus says three times, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Um, this is so wonderful. Father Stephen talked about it last week, but Jesus isn't just restoring and forgiving Peter for Pete's sake. See what he did there, pun intended? Uh, that was for you, Matthew. Matthew has the worst puns in our church, by the way, if you, if you know him. He's restoring him for others. He's carving out this massive failure to be the rock upon which Jesus' church was built. Come on. The guy with the most profound biblical mess-up in the Gospels is the rock upon which the church was built. It's wild. In Luke's gospel, Jesus actually says this to Peter before he denies him. I don't know if you've ever read this, but he says, Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. And when he says that, you is plural. So he's saying, if you're from the south, Satan has demanded to sift y'all like wheat when I die. You're all going to scatter. But he says, but I have prayed for you, singular to Peter, That when you return, your faith will will be strong. You will strengthen your brothers and sisters. That means from the beginning, Jesus knew this was going to happen, and he knew that he was going to use it in Peter's life to fling him out to the world and to bless the entire world. So he's not just thinking of Peter. He's thinking of everybody. He's restoring Peter to be a leader. Did you notice in the Numbers reading that Claire read, Moses is saying, okay, I'm about to die. Please leave somebody so that all the sheep aren't without a shepherd. And he says, yeah, absolutely. God says, I'd love to do that. Here's Joshua. Put your spirit in him. When Jesus saw the crowds, he was so moved. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus is the good shepherd. He becomes the shepherd. And he's about to leave here. And what he's doing is he's leaving a shepherd. He's leaving a leader so that his people aren't cheap without a shepherd. I hope you're encouraged by this. Um, especially if those of you are, are carrying things with you this morning, Jesus can use anything in your life. He will mold even your most epic failures into feeding his sheep, into influencing other people in your life through you. We should all be blessed by this of what he's doing with Peter. But then he also restores him to follow. This is really important how he ends this. So read with me in verse 18. You guys all there? What page is it on? Nine. This is after all this happens, okay? This is what Jesus decides to say. Verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old... You will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, John adds, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is essentially Jesus saying, after Peter has bought back in, good. I knew that's what you'd say. And then he prophesies over Peter. When Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, that's Jesus' prophecy language. You know the last time when Jesus said that to Peter? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will deny me three times. How awesome is that? And now after Peter's bought back in, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, and then he says this, what he said. And here's what I think he's saying to translate it. Back in the day, you did whatever you wanted. You were free as a bird. You saved your life, you did whatever, but now you're back on the disciples' pathway. And because of your self-denial and your association with me and your love of me, you're going to die on a cross. Stretch out your hands in verse 18 as a euphemism. Uh, We pray that in our Eucharistic prayer for the cross. It's cross language. Verse 19 confirms it when John says, hey, by the way, Jesus is talking about his death. Do you see all the, the discipleship language here? Picking up your cross, following, denying. Peter's back at it again. Now, this is so powerful for many reasons. One, on the one hand, this must have been really hard for Peter to hear. This slayed me this week. Peter's entire ministry was lived out under this prophecy. Everything he did was after Jesus says, you're going to die because of me. But you know who else did that? lived their whole life under the ministry of the knowing the cross was going to happen? Jesus. Jesus. Peter's following him. What does Jesus ask you and I to do? Pick up our cross. So that, I think, was really serious for Peter to hear. But on the other hand, I think this is the most encouraging thing Jesus says to Peter. Because he's, he's saying, Peter, awesome. Guess what, buddy? You're going to come right back to the spot where you choked before and you're going to crush it. You're going to hold fast. You're going to be bound. You're going to be taken away, and you're not going to budge, Peter. And I think Peter's sitting there like, yes. You're going to get to the playoffs again, and you're going to hit the three-pointer when your team needs it most. Peter knew that he was losing his life, but he knew he was finding it. And his love was the motivator. Notice how his love To follow Jesus and endure suffering comes after his confession of love. John always ties love and obedience together. They're never separate. When you start reading the book of Acts, which we're going to do soon, guess who's the the biggest character at the beginning? Peter. In Acts 5, this is so cool. In Acts 5, Peter's in this situation where he's preaching about Jesus, and everybody starts intimidating him. And they start saying, you better shut up and quit preaching about Jesus or we're going to kill you or do bad things or whatever. And guess what Peter says? And I quote, we must obey God rather than men. Isn't that awesome? In other words, he's like, sorry, guys. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, right? Listen to what Peter wrote later in 1 Peter 4. This just shows how what God did in him ended up being such resolve, such faith. This is from 1 Peter 4. This is Peter writing to other Christians. You could say this is Peter feeding Jesus' sheep with the own experiences that he had received from Jesus. Beloved, 1 Peter 4, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing. Peter's been tested, right? As though some strange thing were happening to you, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, says the one who denied but then was restored. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. By no means let any of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed. But in that name, let him glorify God. Hallelujah. Amen? It's pretty certain in church tradition and history, Peter was crucified. His arms were stretched out. He was dressed. He was taken where he did not want to go. And he held fast. He did it. Blessed in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. Amen? Amen? How great a cloud of witnesses we have before us. This story is so personal and so, uh, so particular to Peter. He calls on him uniquely. He shows him personal grace. Uh, he gives him this personalized chance to buy back in. It's all so unique to Peter, and, and God will do the same thing for us. He meets you in a unique way. Uh, what does the good shepherd say when Jesus is talking about he's a good shepherd in John 10? He says each of the sheep know his, knows him when they call him by name, Right? So there's going to be something unique here. But that means that he might ask something uniquely of you in your journey of picking up your cross that he doesn't ask other people. He might ask certain things of you. He might bring you to certain tests that are unique to you. And that might tempt you to look around and compare yourself to other people. Which is exactly what Peter does. uh, For all Peter's glorious sainthood, he's still a dude And he's still Peter, which I love Father Stephen said last week. He has sandal and mouth syndrome. And even here, like, Peter, just just zip it. he, He goes on. Look how it ends. Verse 20. This is really important. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. Verse 20. The one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? That's John. And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? In other words, Peter has just learned that a part of his journey is going to be crucifixion, okay? And that he's being called to give up everything in the most epic ways to follow Jesus. So he looks in John and goes, hey, what about that guy? Do a truly, truly, I say to you thing to him. Like, let's hear, let's hear what he has to give up. How realistic is the Bible? I mean, come on. What does Jesus say? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, meaning stay alive, what is that to you? You follow me. Oh my gosh. Jesus is basically saying, if his story is different than yours, and I call him to something different than I'm calling you, is that a problem? Does that mean there's something wrong with what I asked you to do? And then he says, you follow me. Teddy Roosevelt said that comparison is the thief of joy, what a fantastic quote. Don't look to others to see what Jesus is calling you to. Amen? Look to Jesus to see what he is calling you to. Other people will have different paths than you do, and I love that the gospel of John ends this way. <laughs> what is that to you? You follow me. Man, there's so many things in our life that Jesus calls us to that each of us have unique crosses that we bear, physically, relationally, financially, your status. What is that to you? You follow me. You trust me in your personal journey. He'll take care of the rest. All this makes me think of the great hymn that we are going to finish and sing in a little bit. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Amen? No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.